What's going on, FCS football fans? Welcome to the FCS Opening Drive podcast presented by Football Game Plan and the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. I am David Hassagan, along with me, the well-traveled czar of the playbook, Emery Hunt. Emery, good morning. Good morning, sir. How's it going this week two uh, kickoff of the FCS? Finally into week two. The season is finally underway, and there was no... Sh- just when you think it couldn't get any crazier than last year, we had some wild games to talk about. We'll get to that in week one, folks. We'll also talk about where Emery was. He was a busy man. Two games this weekend for this man on Thursday and Saturday. We'll talk about those. We'll also get into our game balls. We'll talk about some of the teams that maybe surprised us. Was it real or was it an aberration? We'll talk about that going into week two. And, of course, we'll have our week two games to watch as well as the big game of the week. And again, folks, if you want to listen back to any of our podcasts, you can go to SoundCloud or iTunes, search football game plan in the podcast section. Don't go to go to don't forget to go to youtube.com slash football game plan and game football game plan.com for all of your football knowledge. Week one of the NFL season is coming up. So if you are NFL fans, you can go there as well. Check out your NFL knowledge. Make sure you're up to speed. A lot of uh, cuts, a lot of trades, a lot of pickups up on the waiver wire. So you can find that all there. And again, if you want to follow all of our college coverage, we have the FBS and FCS whip arounds that you can follow, as well as the college football game plan, college football tailgate show uh, that is on TV right now. So keep an eye on that. Um, Emery, you were a busy man this weekend. Let's start with your many travels. And you started the day on Thursday. You were out on Strong Island. You were out at Stony Brook for their matchup with Bryant. How did that game go down, and what what, what, what did you watch in that one? It was a beautiful night for football, number one. And I thought both teams came out defensively and, and really set the tone early. Neither offense was able to get their traction uh, on the onset of the game, but you saw – Stony Brook take advantage of the fact that Bryant was basically daring them to throw the football. So their quarterback was able to find plays deep down the field, get them in position, and they were able to punch it in shortly for a touchdown. And first touchdown of the game actually was a pick six uh, by Stony Brook. So their defense looks excellent. Gavin Heslop, the cornerback, I thought played a phenomenal game uh, against Bryant. And Bryant, for the most part, I thought they ran the ball well. There were a few maybe one missed tackle away from breaking a lot of runs. Um, So I think they're going to be very good in the NEC. I was surprised with how well they played. But Stony Brook's offense started to find its confidence in the second and third quarter, and and that really paved the way for them the rest of the way in route to a victory. But I thought it was a great game early on by both teams. I I do believe Bryant will be one to keep an eye on in the NEC as, as things get you know, as they get more comfortable with, with what's going on offensively, mm-hmm. you, you expect teams to be behind as, you know, they, there's no preseason in college football. So offenses take a little bit while to get used to defensively. I think both were sound. They were steady. I like the fact that Bryant can apply pressure. So I do believe both teams will be factors later on in the season. This was a really good game score. Didn't indicate how close it really was, but a good showing for Stony Brook nonetheless. Outstanding debut for a lot of new offensive pieces that, you know, like I said before, they returned zero touchdowns right, uh, this yeah. this upcoming season. So they got a lot of guys, some new faces out there, got them involved in the offense, and it's a much more balanced offense, which is something that should be dangerous for the rest of the CAA because we know Stoney was more run-heavy and defense, but now that passing game seems to have found its rhythm. That's going to be a problem for teams moving forward. 
And as you mentioned, it's certainly um, going to, it was a question mark for Stony Brook this year, but it looks like they were heading in the right direction, as is Bryant. You then went out to Kalamazoo, Michigan, uh, Western Michigan University from the FBS, hosting one of the favorites in the Big South, Monmouth. Uh, Western Michigan took care of business. Did you see any uh, potential what Monmouth could bring to the table when they get back to FCS action? Quietly, Monmouth offense was able to move the ball up and down the field against Western Michigan. They just sort of the I think the turning point of the game was at halftime uh, right at halftime they had the they drove the ball all the way down the field used up all the clock got to the one yard line and it was I want to say third and one and instead of going under center to maybe run a quarterback wedge and just push over to the to the goal line they tried to run the ball out of shotgun and you know when you're that close to the goal and they were literally on the six inch yard line got blown up Tom runs out halftime and it's 31-7. Now, if it was 31-14 or 30, it was 31-17 or something like it would have been 31-17. And had it been that coming out of the third quarter, we're talking about a different game because Mama's defense start to to get some stops for some slowdowns um, and, and make some plays. Their offense, I thought, had success. And I think when you look at their offense moving forward, it should be a positive sign. Pete Guerrero is going to be phenomenal at tailback. I mean, he was making guys miss. He looked like he belonged out there on the field. And I love the calmness of Kenji Bahar. I mean, this dude's arm is ridiculous. The receivers mm. stepped up, and that was a big question mark for them coming into the season, replacing Reggie White Jr. The offensive line, I thought, held well in pass pro. So this offense, I think, will be fine moving forward. Defensively, they're going to have to find ways to, to generate pressure. That's what they didn't do against Western Michigan. Shout out to the Broncos. They were excellent. I think they're going to be a factor in the MAC. I think they were predicted second in the West Division. That looked true out there as they have four senior bowl watch list guys and all four of those guys made plays. Yeah, absolutely. And that was the question is, well, who are the playmakers going to be in the wide receiver core for Monmouth? Um, it's certainly going to be interesting to watch that going forward. Obviously, Western Michigan is a pretty consistent power in the MAC uh, for the Broncos, but we talked about Monmouth this year. They're going to be this might be their best year to challenge Kennesaw uh, and finally get over that hump and to move forward. So again, folks, you can keep an eye on uh, Emery on Twitter at Fball Game Plan to see his many travels. This man is probably the busiest man in the business, so he'll be at at least another game, if not two. And he'll, if he can make it, he'll try three. He's tried that before in one weekend. <laughs> let's get into some of the other games that uh, were very interesting this weekend, Emery, and let's start with a. We actually had a ranked versus ranked matchup in the FCS in week one. Number 20, North Carolina A&T taking on number 21, Elon. Really good ball game. Really, really close. Uh, a new quarterback under center for A&T, Khalil Carter. And he comes up with a win, 24-21 over the CAA team for the defending MIAC champions. Yeah, that was a great game, man. And it was Noel Ruiz, Ruiz who had the, the story. He missed two field goals and he hit the game winner. And we <laughs> yeah. always talk about you know, the, the kicking situation at HBCU programs. And this was one where he hit a 52 yarder to win the game. So if he can stay consistent and this can become a norm, man, North Carolina a just reloads. And, and this was a great win for them. One of many great wins for a lot of these FCS programs in the MEAC and SWAC trying to make a play to, to have their cake and eat it too. A lot of what we talked about in the preseason podcast, but this was a great win for a and Breaking in a lot of new players. Lamar Rayner is not there anymore. Markel Cartwright is not there anymore. 
but Elijah Bell is still there and had a tremendous one-handed catch. So great showing by A&T and Elon. Again, another strong showing for them. And I think that is more of indicative of, you know, who A&T is as opposed to Elon being bad and losing to A&T. This was just two good football teams, and it showed by coming down to the wire in a game-winning uh, field goal. Elon kind of getting overlooked in the CAA as well. I think they, they played a, a lot better than what maybe people were thinking uh, going into this game. Let's move on to one of the big upsets of the weekend, though, and this might be the biggest one. South Carolina State. We talked about them, how you know they had their coach coming back. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. And he decided he was, and we thought that maybe something was special going on there. And, well, <laughs> it worked out that way. 28-13 over number nine Wofford. Of all the upsets that were potential upsets for week one, I don't think this was one of the ones many people had. First of all, Wofford threw, what, 23 passes? That is unheard of. And yep. it's so unheard of, they threw four picks. So mm -hmm. you helped out South Carolina State by giving them the football. And credit South Carolina State's defense for not only forcing those turnovers, but stopping the run. They held uh, Wofford to less than four yards of carry, so they were able to do a great job there. And where South Carolina State has strength, and I saw this last season, and that's why they were one of my sleeper teams coming into this year, point of attack play. Paul yeah. McKeever is a defensive prospect, NFL prospect. On the offensive side, they have an offensive lineman that's on the senior bowl watch list. So point of attack play will always be strong under Buddy Pugh. Showed here, Tyrese Nick is a guy that he, he plays the game efficiently. It may not wow you in the stat sheet, but he keeps the chains moving. Great job by him this, this game. Great job by that defense. Just an excellent performance overall, and he got the win. Huge win for sure. Another top 10 upset in week one. Another one maybe a lot of people didn't see coming, although I think somebody, maybe me, mentioned that Southeast Louisiana might be a dark horse in the Southland this year. Well, when you beat the number 16 Jacksonville State 35-14, I think it's a little bit more than a dark horse. Won a game from the Jaguars. Who saw this one coming? What a performance. Yeah, no one did, and this is why, and we joked about this on the last podcast talking about the top 25 uh, and, and you know, with Craig Haley, when everyone looks at Jacksonville State getting highly ranked and they say, how do you put these guys so high? And it seems as though it never fails. There's a letdown at some point against a team that they should beat, but Southeastern Louisiana came in and dominated defensively, forced two interceptions by Zarek Cooper, and shut down a running game of Jacksonville State. This was more about the defense as opposed to uh, their offense. And again, this is a, a huge red flag for the Gamecocks. What team are they really? You know, Are they a team that just had an off day in week one? Or do you feel as though this was a, a you know more about Southeastern Louisiana being a, a player in the Southland Conference, as you said, preseason, but... Man, what a, what an egg the Gamecocks laid against the Lions. Big, big egg. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with the FCS poll, how far they drop. That poll will come out at 1230 today. Did you vote? On uh, Monday, I did vote. And, folks, don't forget, if you want to see how the rest of the voters voted, and if you have a personal beef with any of them, uh, not to throw anybody under the bus, Craig Haley, uh, <laughs> just use the hashtag stats underscore FCS top 25 on Twitter, and you can actually follow uh, myself, Emery, and how the other voters uh, put up their top 25. Who's your week week. before we get before we get sidetracked? And I finally say I saved my picks this week, so I actually know who I I remember who I put in the top 25. Who's your top five? 
Top five this week, I still have North Coast State at number one, obviously. I've got JMU moving up to number two, uh, flip-flopping with, East, with Eastern Washington, uh, both with losses over uh, against FBS programs, but I think JMU was a little more convincing against West Virginia. Uh, South Dakota State at number four, and I still have UMaine at number five. Who's number three? Eastern Washington. Okay, okay. I have North Dakota State, James Madison, South Dakota State, Maine, Weber State. Interesting. Okay. Weber State with the Snorefest game of the week, by the way. How did they – I mean, we were boarding the plane from Kalamazoo uh, at about 11.45 p.m., and I'm I'm looking, and I'm like, wait, they lost 6 nothing to San – was it a snowstorm or rainstorm? <laughs> I'm like, how does that happen? Like, man, San Diego State must be like, wow. Like, shout out to Weber State's defense, though. 6 nothing. Um, to an FBS opponent, to me, so seeing that, then going back and watching a little bit of it, I was like, okay, they they deserve it, and so I pushed them up. Speaking of uh, FBS opponents, let's go back to another team in the Southland, and it's one of the teams that we thought, how are they going to rebound after a disappointing year last year? And that was the Mike McCarthy's Purple Bears of Central Arkansas knocks off Western Kentucky 35-28. This is now back-to-back years that the Hilltoppers have lost lost to an FCS opponent in week one, but Central Arkansas looked very impressive in this ballgame. I like Braylon Smith, the quarterback, man. He was balling. Mm. 11 yards in attempt, 300-plus yards passing, three touchdowns, no picks. So they took care of business. They outplayed, actually, Western Kentucky. So they looked like the Conference USA team more so than Western Kentucky. So shout-out to Central Arkansas getting that big win against an FBS opponent. The Mike London era has officially begun at William & Mary. And it starts in victory. The Tribe get a win, 30-17 to over Lafayette. What did you think of the new-look go-go offense with the CAA team in front of it? Speaking of go-go offense, you can go and purchase your copy of the go-go offense, which has done extremely well by going to footballgameplan.com slash go-go offense and pick up your copy of the book today. Man, that's so, a cheap plug. With, with, Man, that's a cheap plug. With that being the backdrop... <laughs> I thought the versatility of the offense, you saw multiple quarterbacks use. You saw an offense that, that looked fun, that kept Lafayette off balance. But I was more impressed with their defense, forcing turnovers, getting sacks. That's going to be a big key. Offensive line play, can that defense get better than what we saw last year? As of week, If week one is of any indication, uh, those answers are, are resounding yes. And let's get to our one last game here from week one, folks, before we hand out our game balls. There's always one wild game of the week, and we certainly had that. Tennessee Tech, 59-58 over Samford in double overtime. Again, we knew there was going to be some growing pains for Samford. Maybe not this much, but this was an offensive display of epic proportions. Tennessee Tech, though, nice little win to start the season. Listen, first of all, I'm glad they started Chris Oladokun. And you saw yes. him last game, 7-10, to 10, uh, 125 yards in relief. But last, well, this past weekend, 19-24, 428, six touchdown passes, no interceptions, no picks. He may be a guy that you'll see um, at the end of the season for Peyton Award honors, you know, because he's been playing phenomenal. Now, granted, they've scored 22 points and 58 points in back-to-back games and lost both of them. Yeah. So this one, I think, stings a little bit more because they had a huge lead against Tennessee Tech and was well on their way to blowing them out. And credit, 
you know, the Golden Eagles for coming back and, and making this a game. They were, Samper was up. Samper was down 12 nothing. came back and took a 38-15 to lead and lose uh, and lost 59-58. So, yeah, I'm well, I mean, worried about their defense now. It seems like they have no problems offensively, but defensively, my goodness. Yeah, 22 points allowed in the fourth quarter uh, by Samford's defense to lose in double overtime. Um, by the way, we're talking about, speaking of the OVC, we mentioned this off air. Somebody put a, qu- a uh, quiz out or a poll out on Twitter, I should say, uh, asking what conference Tennessee should be in because clearly they're not an SEC team anymore. And they listed the OVC, Southland, SOCON, and independent FBS. Uh, so not good times everywhere in Tennessee, but certainly good times for Tennessee Tech. And that's where I'm going to start with my first game ball. And that's their quarterback, Bailey Fisher, who had himself a heck of a game. Uh, he accounted for five touchdowns for Tennessee Tech, three on the ground, two in the air, threw for 415 yards on 31 of 44. Really, really good game for the quarterback for Tennessee Tech. Yeah, that was an excellent game right there. And sticking with the quarterback game ball, I'm giving one to Akil Glass of Alabama A&M. Yeah. The final drive in that Black College Hall of Fame classic was masterful. All they needed was a field goal because Morehouse missed the extra point uh, on their touchdown, which looked to be the game winner. But yep. missed the extra point. Akil Glass, it, I mean, I'm just amazed at his composure because Connell Maynard loses it consistently on the sideline with his quarterback, like screaming mm. at him as if he's just threw like the worst pass of every every play. And, you know, he's able to, to block that out and drive down the field. Now, they're in field goal range. So okay, they can kick the field goal. They have a really good kicker. And they go for the touchdown. Brian Jenkins Jr. Uh, is in the end zone, wide open. Touchdown, kill glass, gets the win, the walk-off win. A lot harder than it should have been against Morehouse. Certainly a lot harder than it should have been. But I'm going to stick with uh, the SWAC conference and Dewanya Tucker. Again, for Prairie View A&M, we've talked about this kid last year. He's turned into an absolute star, and he had it again uh, in his first game of 2019. Only 11 carries, three touchdowns, 188 yards. He was averaging 17 yards a carry. In other words, you don't know how to tackle him, or he knows how to get people off of him. But what another, another incredible game for Dewanya Tucker. I think he had two of those touchdown runs were over 50 yards. So you talk about Prairie View A&M. We talked about them being a potential either Celebration Bowl or FCS playoff at-large bid participant, it's going to be a lot on Tawanya Tucker. And Jalen Morton had a really good game, too, over 300 yards passing. I would, you know, give it to another quarterback, Bailey Zapp of Houston Baptist, who nearly pulled off the upset to UTEP. He yep. was 27-37, to 37, 300 yards and two touchdowns. And if this is a, a sign of what's to come, then Houston Baptist could be that flying ointment in the Southland. They hadn't won against a Division One opponent since bringing back football, man, they would have got their first victory against an FBS opponent and nearly had it. They had a lead late in this game. Shout out to Houston Baptist for playing competitively against UTEP, and shout out to uh, Billy Zapp for the performance he had at the quarterback position. I got to go back to Central Arkansas here. Luan Winningham, uh, eight catches, three touchdowns, 222 yards receiving for the Purple Bears. Uh, as part of their upset win over Western Kentucky. Um, he's going to be a key part of this offense and getting Central Arkansas back to the top of the Southland. So, Luan Winningham with a game ball. Well done, young man. I will give my last game ball to the South Carolina State's defense. To do yep. that to Wofford and to win convincingly like convinc- convincingly like they did, it, it was impressive. 
And I'll give one more as well. My last one to quarterback from Montana, Dalton Sneed. Uh, 37 to 52, 430 yards, three touchdowns, as well as a rushing TD. So quarterbacks racking up the touchdowns by themselves. They're being a little bit selfish, but you know what? They're quarterbacks. That's what they do. <laughs> so that'll do it for our game balls for this week. Again, folks, you you are listening to the FCS Opening Drive podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting and Football Game Plan. You can listen to this podcast on demand and listen back on SoundCloud and iTunes to search Football Game Plan in the podcast section. Now we get into some analysis, Emery, and this is where you are at your best. We're going to talk real or aberration. Obviously, we're only one week in, so you're going to get some surprise performances. We had a few of those. Uh, you're going to have a few performances scratching your head as well. And we want to know, is this going to be the theme or is this the real deal? So we're going to start with uh, one of the teams we've talked about before, and that's South Carolina State. Big win over top 10 team but not really getting the respect in the MEAC that maybe they deserve. Does South Carolina State, are they for real with this win, or is this a one week we've prepared well and maybe we won't follow it up? I think it's a real. I think when you look at what happened last year, a young team, they played a lot of freshmen and sophomore sophomores. They got better as the season went on. They were tough, man. They actually killed Howard's chances of getting to the Celebration Bowl with that gritty win. Mm. slowing down the go-go offense. They couldn't do anything against this Bulldogs defense, so I like them moving forward. We will also find out a lot if they can go in next week against or this week against Lane College, a Division II program, and completely blow them out the water. If they play a game like Alabama A&M played against Morehouse, then okay, maybe they're not there yet, but this team to dominate Wofford like they did, I think they're for real. Let's move on to Southeast Louisiana as well. Again, another win over top 10 opponent over number six, Jacksonville State. 35 points, though, against the Jacksonville State defense. That's usually pretty stout. That's nothing to sneeze at for Southeast Louisiana. I'm on the fence with this one. I would have to say aberration. Okay. You know, let's 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 wait a week because I think this is more along the lines of maybe we overrated Jacksonville State, you know, because, yeah. again— offensively speaking, the passing game wasn't much to talk about with Southeast Louisiana. They really didn't dominate on the ground, so it wasn't anything offensively that really set them apart. So I would say this is more of an aberration than a real sign of things to come. But good win nonetheless to start the season. We'll certainly keep an eye out on their next two games. We'll talk about one of them uh, in our Week 2 preview, but the next two games for Southeast Louisiana will certainly be the ones to keep an eye on there. Let's move on to another team that uh, just missed over the weekend, and that's Northern Iowa. Again, a team that a lot of people had highly ranked, but maybe people thought, eh, maybe third, maybe fourth in the Missouri Valley. They had they went to three overtimes with a very good Iowa State team. Lost 29-26. Is Iowa State a team we should take more? Is uh, Northern Iowa, excuse me, a team we should take more seriously in the Missouri Valley moving forward? I would say this is more real than aberration. We had a lot of questions about Northern Iowa coming into the season, you know, losing Eli Dunn, uh, losing, you know, their star edge rusher and Ricky Neal, and they really were taking it to Iowa State. Now, granted, this could be a case of them playing up to Iowa State. We'll see how they'll handle the rigors of the Missouri Valley Conference, and we know that that's a, a dog fight each and every week, and teams tend to beat up on each other, but I'm more inclined to say this is real as opposed to an aberration. I like what I saw. From the Panthers, we watched this game in entirety uh, in the hotel prior to leaving for the stadium, uh, the Monmouth-Western Michigan game. So we watched that whole game 
everyone was rooting for Northern Iowa to pull off the upset, and they nearly did. We wanted them to go for for two in the overtime instead of kicking the extra point, going to, the, to another overtime, and you see what happened. So shout out for shout out to the Panthers for their fight, and I think this is more of a real thing. Let's move on to the next team out of the Big South. That's North Alabama, 26-17 over Missouri Valley opponent Western Illinois in their first game at home. Real or aberration that maybe this is the year that North Alabama breaks through in the Big South? I would say it's probably an aberration. You know, there are some things going on at Western Illinois. And so I would say this is more of an indictment on Western Illinois, not only having some issues, but also replacing a ton of playmakers on offense. You know, you talk about the quarterback, the running back, they lose a couple of receivers. Um, they lose Colin Saunders on defense. So yeah. they have a ton of people they have to replace. Um, and I think North Alabama is a really good team. They're going to be a factor in, you know, even though they're not eligible for league title just yet, there's still going to be a, a team that's going to be a flying ointment in the Big South. But I think this was more aberration because of the opponent, not because of North Alabama about to be, uh, you know, this undefeated team in the FCS. Well, and they're certainly going to get a test next week. They travel out to Big Sky Country to take on Montana in week two, a team that I've got ranked number 16 in my FCS top 25. Um, I'm certainly going to be moving up the standings after a nice win in their week one. So this, this that'll be a much better test, I think, for North Alabama. As you said, a very young team at Western Illinois uh, trying to replace a lot of pieces. But North Alabama, we said when they came in, they're going to cause some problems. If they put up a good fight against Montana – all of a sudden, Monmouth and Kennesaw might start wanting to look over their shoulders. One more team we're going to get into here, Emery, and this was the one that was kind of forgotten about. But then all of a sudden, you look back and you're like, wait a minute, who did this to Arkansas? Portland State against an SEC opponent. Granted, it is Arkansas, but you're still talking SEC. They only lose 20-13 to 13 to the Razorbacks. Portland State, out of nowhere, could that be the surprise team out of the big sky? Could be, but I'm thinking more aberration. Uh, new offense for Arkansas, trying to figure it out, playing down to their opponent. Portland State played up a little bit, although this game, the score is 20 to 13, but the the, the way they got 13 was kind of on some fluky stuff where the mm. ball passed through the hands of an Arkansas defender into the hands of Charlie uh, Taomopo uh, from the, the tight end that's on the senior bowl watch list for a touchdown. So, yeah, good job by them. I think it's more of a real sign of their defense, more so than the team as a whole. I think defensively, to stop, you know, that passing game, that spread open, that spread option, uh, that spread open uh, passing game, that old SMU air raid type offense, Arkansas was coming to the table with, with their new coach. So more to believe in their defense than the entire team. So I'll take another week to to wait and see for Portland State. Portland State's got a probably the weirdest schedule in FCS this year. They start with Arkansas. Next game they're home with Simon Frazier. Then they're Canadian at Boise. Program. Then they're at Boise State, and then they're home with Eastern Oregon. <laughs> like, wow, what a so they, weird. So they got two Division two programs. Uh, you know, uh, East well NEI. I think that's NEI Eastern Oregon, um, <laughs> and a Canadian school that plays. American, you know, that plays American football in Simon Frazier. It's interesting. Division two program. 
in, in, very interesting schedule. So we'll see. The, the jury is very much out on Portland State. But I, I figured I figured I'd give you a shot to. It, it, if any Vikings fans out there have any problems, at Craig Haley is our complaint department. So just <laughs> let's go to him. Folks, let's get into week two now here on the FCS Opening Drive podcast. And we're going to bring back the segment we had last year, my telling trap, unsung, and best game of the week. My telling game this week, how much can you tell from two weeks of football? Well, in this case, a lot. Chattanooga at Jacksonville State is going to be my telling game this week. Again, Jacksonville State, number six in the first poll. They lose to a very average, well, according to the experts, Southeast Louisiana team. They're taking on the Chattanooga team that we have said is on the come up. They looked much better last year. They're a dark horse team this year in their conference. I think the Chattanooga-Jacksonville State game could be a really telling game about which direction these two programs are going into. That is going to be a good game, too, because we saw Chattanooga play really well, and they they both have tremendous quarterbacks, Nick Tiano and Zarek Cooper. So I think this is a must-win game for Jacksonville State, man. They they lose to Chattanooga. it, It could be curtains. Let's go on to the trap games of the week. A lot of people giving Delaware a lot of respect uh, this year in the CAA. But last year, they were tripped up in this very game in the Battle of the Blue by one of your favorites, the URI Rams. Rhode Island is home this year. Big trap game for the Blue Hens if they think they're going to run through lightly against URI. Is it a trap game if URI is pretty good? You know, because <laughs> trap game would would imply that the team is not good. So this is a they can't overlook this game because this team was on a precipice of the playoffs last year. So <laughs> I wouldn't see a trap game. I wouldn't call it a trap game per se. I'd say this is more of a a really good matchup in the CAA. Then how about this for a trap game? University of Virginia, the go go offense is calling. They host William and Mary this week. Is that would that work for your trap game? That could potentially be a dead that would be a trap game for for virginia um because of how william and mary can provide a, a unique challenge because of their uh their offense but i mean judging by what i saw last week from virginia over Pitt getting their revenge the way they did maybe they they'll come into this game with the focus but yeah this is prime example for a trap game because it's a friday night game against an fcs opponent in-state fcs opponent so you could be up, you couldn't, you you maybe asleep, could be you could sleepwalk into this one. So yeah, you're right. This is a trap game. Let's go on to my unsung game of the week, and this one I think could be it, it could be a big game in the Big Sky, and that's Cal Poly at Weber. Weber again, we talked about their very odd opening game, only losing six nothing to an FBS program, but Cal Poly ran roughshod over San Diego, 52-34. There was a big question mark about Cal Poly and their offense. Three passing touchdowns. What the heck is going on at Cal Poly? Uh, But again, if they're going to change their offense up and that's how they're going to play, this is going to be a good ball game against Weber. It should be a good ball game, man. And I'm glad that we're seeing a good Cal Poly team because that right there is going to be fun for, you know, the big sky. I have another team that's out there just creating all kind of havoc and, potentially being that flying element. If I had to give you an unsung game, it would, to me, it would be UT Martin in Florida. Hmm. Interesting. Based off what we saw last week, UT Martin was, uh, you know, 
pulled off what I thought you know could be considered an upset, coming back and winning that ball game uh, against a team that I thought was going to be you know just you know breeze through. But shout out to UT Martin. So let's see, and we know Florida is supposed to win this game. Is supposed to win this game big, but we've also seen Florida sort of play super inconsistent. Um, they should have blown out Miami, and they let that game get way closer than it needed to be. I would also say Furman, Georgia State would be an unsung game as well, considering what we saw from Furman and what we now know of powerhouse Georgia State. <laughs> powerhouse Georgia State. Wait, they weren't the powerhouse in that game before against Tennessee? SEC. What? SEC power Georgia State. <laughs> there might be some people that are willing to make that trade, and I think a lot of Tennessee fans might be one of them. <laughs> so we'll see with that one. My best game of the week, and this is actually one of the first games we're gonna we were gonna preview anyway. Um, Southeast Missouri State taking on Montana State. This is going to be a huge ball game in terms of where you are in terms of the hierarchy of FCS programs. Montana State. I had both of these teams right. I have Montana State in my latest poll at number nine. I had SEMO at number 10. So this is going to be a really interesting ball game for my poll particularly. But both of these teams will be ranked in the FCS stats poll when it comes out again at 1230 today. You can check out hashtag stats underscore FCS top 25 on Twitter. But a real battle of strength between these two squads here. SEMO for me was I had I had them ranked eighth. And uh, Montana State, I dropped them from the top 25. Really? Wow. Yeah. No, no faith at all. Dropped them from the top 25. But you're right. This is this is actually the stats FCS Craig Haley game of the week. Um, so we're going to preview this game in depth this week on the FCS kickoff. Um, so, yeah, this is going to be a big game. But SEMO, I thought, was impressive. And the top 10 team and... You know, Montana State is always good for an upset. They can get right back on track against SEMO if they're able to pull off the victory. I, I will say this. I did watch the first half of this game, uh, of the of SEMO's first game against Southern Illinois. First of all, props to Southern Illinois. Played a very good first half. They might be better than people think. Um, and that game was on ESPN+. Plus. Folks, if you don't have ESPN+, Plus, I would highly recommend it. You get a lot of FCS action on there that you can watch, as well as ESPN3. But uh, Simo, they felt they followed up really nicely in the second half. They may not have had it in the first, but they had it in the second. So that's going to be a good one to watch. Let's get into some of, other, some of the other games we are going to keep an eye on, Emery. And let's start with Mississippi Valley State at Lamar. Now, on paper, this game is over at by halftime, especially the way Lamar played last year. They're off to a 1-0 start. Mississippi Valley State has had a rough few years. How do you see this game going this year? This is an unsung game, man, because you saw Mississippi Valley State give Tennessee State all they could handle last weekend. Mm-hmm. And and Lamar is a playoff returning team, and they were able to easily cruise in week one. This game has a lot of injury for me, so I'm excited to see how it plays out because if Valley can come in and, and maybe pull off the upset and or play like we saw them play last week, then the tide is starting to turn for what has been a downtrodden program for a long time. Next game on the schedule, one of the perennial favorites to make the playoffs out of the Missouri Valley, Illinois State. Uh, they're going to look for a rebound game after losing a pretty good ball game to Northern Illinois, 24-10. They got Moorhead State coming in, though, and Moorhead State's an interesting team. They surprised a lot of people last year with how good they were. They start with a 44-7 win over Union College. Uh, not exactly a powerhouse opponent there, but Moorhead State 
was a team that were a lot of people last year were like, wait, where did they come from? This might be their first real test. I'm interested to see how Illinois State goes about their business. This is a game that they should win. Can you come out, get off to a great start, dominate, get your guys out of the game, and then put your reserves in a build at depth? So I'm more interested in how they come out and compete more so than the outcome of the game. Moorhead will be challenged, uh, obviously, and they will be game, you know, to come in and try to get the upset. But I'm more interested. And we've seen a Pioneer team upset, you know, one of these teams last year. Butler uh, won, won a game against Youngstown State in, in convincing fashion. So it could happen, but I'm more interested to see how Illinois State handles their prep, preparation for this for this opponent. Let's move on to the next one here. And it's been, it's been a week now for Villanova after they absolutely dominated Colgate in their opening game. Again, this is a Villanova team that we've always said, if they're healthy, they're dangerous over the last couple of years. They're finally healthy, and they certainly looked it in week one. They've got Lehigh coming to town, a ballot of eastern Pennsylvania uh, in this one. Mountain Hawks, we know what they can usually bring on offense. What are you looking for in this ballgame? This is going to be a great defensive game, in my opinion. I like what I saw from the defensive side of the ball in that St. Francis game. Lehigh's defense was impressive. Villanova's defense is going to be excellent. So we get to learn a lot more about either offense or, you know, each offense in this ballgame. So I'm excited to see what those teams can do to overcome what should be stout defensive play. And Lehigh's defense will certainly be tested. Outside of Colgate, we haven't seen much defensively out of the Patriot League. They've got Villanova and UC Davis on back-to-back weeks away uh, for the Mountain Hawks of Lehigh. So that's going to be a difficult one after dropping a close decision to St. Francis in week one. Let's move on and stay in the Patriot League. Lafayette looking to get their first win of the season. A lot of, uh, still a lot of questions at quarterback for the Leopards of Lafayette. They take on Monmouth, who are back at home in New Jersey, looking to rebound off a loss to an FBS opponent. Does Lafayette, Lafayette has to make a choice in this ballgame, who the actual starter is going to be. Yeah, they got to find some consistency on offense. And for, you know, Monmouth, there are some seeds of progress and, and good things they can take away from that loss to Western Michigan. I, like I said, their offense, I thought, moved the ball well up and down the field. Defensively, still a work in progress, but it'll be interesting to see how they come out and respond to what happened out there in Kalamazoo. And you're right, Lafayette had a lead in that game against uh, William & Mary, but the consistency isn't there. And if they can find that consistency, it seems as though they got the players this year to make a run. Let's move on to, this is another one I had for an unsung game of the week, Southeast Louisiana. We talked about whether or not they're going to be real or not, and I said their next two games are going to be telling. Week three, they've got Ole Miss. That's going to be a real, real challenge, but this week is going to be a tough game as well. Bethune-Cookman is where they will go. They're coming off a win in the MIAC SWAC Challenge over Jackson State, where they dominated in the second half of that ball game. This is going to be a really good test for both of these squads who are either looking at, at who are looking at postseason play potentially at the end of the season. Yeah, and Bethune is coming off a great win in the MEAC SWAC Challenge, and we talked about earlier Southeastern Louisiana's outstanding game against Jacksonville State. People to game for both, and it's a big game for both. It's a big win for either team if they're able to get that W, especially when you're talking about uh, playoffs, because now you're looking at okay strength of schedule. Who did they beat out of conference? This is a huge game for both teams. Especially for Bethune-Cookman, again, without the automatic bid, it looks like A&T might be strong again this year in the MEAC. So if there is a second strong team, 
there's potential for a MEAC team potentially to get an at-large bid. And Bethune-Cookman, I think, is a lot of people's pick to potentially be that squad. Let's move out to the West Coast now. UC Davis at San Diego. This is another one I had down as a telling game. Both teams coming in at 0-1 to start the season. San Diego, again, got smacked in their uh, in their first game for sure um, against uh, Cal Poly. UC Davis, though, we said there was a question about them, about replacing big-name talent on both sides of the ball. They still have Jake Mayer, but who is going to step up for them? This is a big game for both. Yeah, you want to. You, I think you're going to learn more about San Diego, man. They, like you said, they got blasted. They rendered Michael Bandy ineffective in that game. Their outstanding receiver, who's on the Senior Bowl watch list, UC Davis held their own against Cal. But like we talked about on the College Football Tailgate Show, Cal's defense was the story in that one, and that's going to be the story for the Bears for the rest of the season. This is a must-win game for San Diego, and it's a tall task to ask against a team like UC Davis. Is it really a must-win for San Diego, though? Because, again, they, they've dominated the Patriot League almost with ease the last three or four years. Is, is a non-conference game really going to matter that much to them at this point? Absolutely, because you saw what Davidson did Georgetown this past weekend, did you? True, true. Dave, the Davidson Wildcats, again, who would have thought we'd be saying their name as a potential contender? <laughs> so it's, it's going to be it, – that right there was a shocking win, in my opinion. Georgetown – had you know came back in that game, but man, Davidson's defense stepped up, and their offense put the game away. So now you have defense with Davidson, in addition to what they do offensively. This is a must-win game for San Diego. And let's go to our last game before we talk about where Emory will be next week, and that is Texas Southern at Incarnate Word. Uh, again, Incarnate Word was uh, one of the teams that shocked us last year, made the playoffs. Um, I actually just dropped them after their week one loss. I had them in the bottom half of my top 25. Um, so they were dropped out with their first loss. I do have them as a team to watch for me, though. Texas Southern, though, they were on the other end of the Prairie View A&M game. And if it wasn't for DeWanya Tucker doing his thing, this was a pretty good ball game. Texas Southern actually showed a pretty good pulse in this one. Yeah, they, they were nipping Tuck in, in the second quarter, man. It started to get out of hand after halftime. So... If they can come in and get an early lead, again, this could be a one of those games where we look back and say, man, Texas Southern really put a damper on Incarnate Word season, or maybe Texas Southern is a team that has a chance to be a fly in the ointment in the swack. And if they can come out and just play hard, it'll be interesting to see how they how they finish. But Incarnate Word losing to UT San Antonio like they did kind of dampered them a little bit as far as the you know, you know, tempered their my expectations for them or my enthusiasm for them rather and it's just like man it, you know I, I want to see a better showing um can they get back on board this week you can't let one loss become two so we'll see how they respond against the tigers that'll do it for our week two preview here folks but emory you're you're always on the road you're always out you know making connections and meeting fans and doing whatever and sometimes ignoring fans if they've come at you on Twitter. Uh, where are you going to be in week two? Where are you going to be calling the games? <laughs> well, this weekend I have a – I am excited to do this broadcast because I'm a college football history nut, and I have Wittenberg at Washington and Jefferson. And Interesting. So, yeah, Division three game. And uh, the presidents, as you may know or may not know, 
the what you know there were a power back in the early parts of college football up in you know the, the 20s and 30s right um you know playing teams you know west virginia ohio state playing those they actually had the first black player to play in a rose bowl so they actually made a rose bowl uh pruner west is that is the name of that player he was all-american uh, first african-american to play in the rose bowl came from washington and jefferson and wittenberg is one of the winningest college football teams in history uh, with only one losing season since 1972. So, two, I forgot the, the, the station uh, letters, but I'm excited for that game. That's Saturday at noon Eastern time. You can find that game on ESPN3. It's going to be very interesting. Again, folks, and if, if you want to watch more FCS action, A, I would say go and watch your local team play. The football is outstanding. It is Division One. These are incredible athletes that will go on to the next level. But if you can't make it or the weather's lousy like we have uh, <laughs> up here in the Northeast at the start of this week, you can go to ESPN Plus and ESPN3. Sign up for it. There's a ton of FCS action out there. Uh, you can watch a ton of games at your leisure. Uh, certainly another thing we'll be keeping an eye on Emory as well. And we would uh, be remiss not to mention this is the uh, hurricane Dorian that is coming in for the Southeast. We saw this last year as well uh, with college football, with uh, mother nature disrupting the college football schedule. So for everybody who's down in uh, Florida, Georgia, the Carolinas uh, stay safe. Uh, you know, make sure you listen to your local officials, get out of there. If it doesn't look good, uh, this is not the time to uh, be stubborn and try to ride it out. This is a very, very large storm. Uh, so certainly we hope that everybody gets out of there safely. Um, hopefully the college football season is, you know, not affected, but that is very much secondary uh, to what's going on down there. Um, so again, folks, if you want to listen back on this podcast and any of our other podcasts, so we, you can, you know, tweet us and say, hey, you were wrong about this because we know you like to do that, you trolls out there. Uh, you can listen to us on SoundCloud and iTunes, search Football Game Plan on the podcast section. And again, we've got a ton of stuff coming out on TV if you live in the Metro New York area on Game Plus Network. We've got our NFL All 32 show that we will be bringing out for the NFL season, which starts next week, incredibly. Uh, so we'll see how that go, goes out with the NFL season. A ton of tough stuff to talk about. We also have our uh, college football tailgate show as well that me and Emery will break down games from all across um, all divisions in college football, including my alma mater, Springfield College, as they play the pinch-on-saw game against in-city rival Western New England, which we've dominated, I must say, in the uh, early part of this rivalry, but I'll, I'll leave that to myself. Uh, so, uh, Emery, anything else you want to plug for the folks out there before we sign off on this Week 2 preview? Yeah, we, all, we will actually have a Wednesday TV show starting this week in addition to our Thursday and Friday show. So credit to Game Plus Network acknowledging the fact that our show is doing really well, so add a third day. And that Wednesday show will be NFL Power Rankings, so our Power Rankings show but this week we will specifically focus in on the NFL. Next week we'll do rankings for Heisman candidates, Peyton Award candidates, top 25 in college football, our NFL power rankings. But for this week, because the opening game is Thursday night, Packers-Bears, we'll, that Wednesday show at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time will be our NFL power rankings. And also on our YouTube channel, Check out our FCS kickoff where we preview a bunch of the games this week in the FCS more in-depthly than we did on this show. 
We also have our FCS whip around where the football game plan correspondents will bring you around the 13 or yeah, the 13 conferences in the FCS, giving you what to look out for this upcoming weekend, specifically to your conference. And again, we have the NFL All 32 podcast, the NFL All 32 TV show, all kind of good stuff coming at football game plan. And be sure to follow me on Twitter at FBall Game Plan, Davis at David underscore Hashagan. And again, and they also, with all this uh, work, we have to give a big shout out to our producer for all of this, and that is Mike McCarthy, uh, who has been just a backbone for us the last couple of years. And uh, he's he certainly has taken a lot of a lot of extra work on uh, to make all of this possible. So thank you to Mike as well on that one. Absolutely. Folks, that'll, that'll do it for the week two preview. We will be back here for week three on what should be an incredible weekend in college football. Emery. Thank you. Thank you as always. Travel safely. And folks, thanks for listening in.